Paul's letter to the Galatians. It was written to a number of churches in the region of Galatia where Paul had traveled on one of his missionary journeys. You can read the stories in the book of Acts. He wrote this important letter from a place of deep passion and frustration. Here's the backstory. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, but its message was for all humanity, and so it quickly spread beyond Israel. By Paul's time as a missionary, there were as many non-Jews as there were Jewish people in the Jesus movement, and this sparked a huge debate that we know about from the book of Acts chapter 15. Historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel, and they were set apart by the practices commanded in the Torah, like circumcision of males, eating kosher, observing the Sabbath. And there were many Jewish Christians who believed that for all of these non-Jews to truly become a part of God's family, they needed to obey the laws of the Torah. And so some of these Jewish Christians ended up coming to the Galatian churches. They were undermining Paul and demanding circumcision of all these male non-Jewish Christians. And so many of them were. And when Paul found out, he was brokenhearted and angry. And this letter is the result. He first challenges the Galatians with his summary of the gospel message about the crucified Messiah. He then argues that this gospel is what creates the new multi-ethnic family of Jesus and Abraham. And then he shows how this gospel is what truly transforms people by the presence and power of the Spirit. He opens by expressing his bewilderment that the Galatians have embraced a different gospel. It's the one promoted by these Christians who badmouth Paul and demand circumcision. So Paul first defends the authenticity of his message and authority as an apostle. He was commissioned by the risen Jesus himself to go to the non-Jewish world. Remember the story from the book of Acts. Paul says it was only later that he went to Jerusalem to consult the other apostles like Peter or James. And when he told them he wasn't requiring non-Jewish Christians to be circumcised or eat kosher, they were in full support. But this tension ran deeper. Peter had come to Antioch to visit and see all of these non-Jewish Christians, and he was eating and mingling with them. But when some of this Jerusalem opposition group showed up in Antioch, Peter caved under their pressure. He stopped eating with these uncircumcised Christians, and he was avoiding them. And so Paul confronted and accused Peter of hypocrisy, of not staying true to the gospel. For Paul, demanding these new Christians to become circumcised and Torah observant, it's wrong-headed for all kinds of reasons. First of all, because it's a betrayal of the gospel. Or in his words, people are not justified by the works of the Torah, but rather by the faith of Jesus the Messiah. And we have faith in the Messiah Jesus. To be justified, or literally to be declared righteous, it's a rich Old Testament term for Paul. It's when God declares that someone is in a right relationship with him. They're forgiven, they're given a place in God's family, and they are being transformed by God's grace. And it's Paul's conviction that no one can be justified by observing the commands of the Torah, but only by the faith of Jesus. This is a dense phrase, and it could refer to Jesus' own faithfulness in living and dying on our behalf, or it could refer to our own trust and devotion to Jesus. Either way, the point is clear. People are justified only through trusting in what God did for them through Jesus, not by what they do for themselves. At the heart of Paul's gospel is this claim, that when people trust in the Messiah Jesus, what's true of him becomes true of them. 
His life, death, and resurrection become theirs. Or in his words, I've been crucified with the Messiah, and it's not I who come back to life. It's the Messiah living in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so the reason anyone can say that they are right with God or belong to Jesus' covenant family, it's not because they obeyed the laws of the Torah. It's only because of what Jesus did for them that they could never do for themselves. Now, this profound understanding of what Jesus accomplished, it has huge implications for who can now be included in God's covenant family and for what it means to live as a member of that family. So Paul first turns to the stories about Abraham in Genesis, how he was justified or declared righteous before God by simply having faith, by trusting in God's promise that one day all nations would find God's blessing through him and his offspring. God's purpose was always to have one large multi-ethnic family of people who relate to him on the basis of faith, not on the laws of the Torah. But that raises an important question. Why did God give the laws of the Torah to Israel then? Here Paul offers a very brief and dense explanation that he will later fill out in his letter to the Romans. He observes that the laws of the Torah were given to Israel at Mount Sinai long after God's promise to Abraham. And if you read the Torah carefully, he says, you'll see that God always intended the laws to be a temporary measure. He says the laws had both a negative and a positive role. Negatively, the laws acted like a magnifying glass on Israel's sin. They exposed how Israel shared in the sinful human condition, constantly rebelling against God's law. And so the law, which is good, ended up pronouncing Israel guilty and all humanity with them. Or in his words, the laws imprisoned everyone under the power of sin. But the laws also had a positive role. They acted like a strict school teacher that kept Israel in line until the coming of the promised offspring of Abraham, the Messiah. And once the Messiah came, he fulfilled the purpose of the laws on Israel's behalf. Jesus was the faithful Israelite who truly loved God and neighbor. And as Israel's king, he died to take the curse and consequence of Israel's failure into himself and bring redemption. And so now through Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, God's blessing can come to all people, regardless of their ethnicity, social status, or gender. For Paul, requiring Torah observance from non-Jewish Christians, it makes no sense. It's acting as if Jesus didn't fulfill God's promise or deal with our sins. It neglects the new freedom gained for us through Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, and it limits God's promise and blessing to one ethnic family. But, Paul's opponents might argue, the laws of the Torah, they're a proven guide to living according to God's will. How will non-Jewish Christians learn this? Paul responds in chapters 5 and 6 by describing how Jesus' transforming presence through the Spirit is the key. The laws of the Torah are good. They're wise, Paul says. In fact, they can all be summarized, as Jesus did, in the command to love your neighbor as yourself. But the laws, good as they are, they did not give Israel the power to obey them. In contrast, the good news is that Jesus did fulfill the laws on our behalf, and now he lives in us through the Spirit, making his people into new humans who fulfill the law by loving others. So Paul goes on to contrast this old and new humanity. The habits of the old humanity are obvious. These are behaviors that dehumanize people, they destroy relationships and whole communities. And while the laws of the Torah prohibited these behaviors, Jesus actually put them to death on the cross. So when a person trusts in Jesus and lives in dependence on the Spirit, 
his life becomes theirs and produces what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. This is Jesus' way of life that he wants to reproduce in his family so that they become people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But this fruit isn't automatic, Paul says. It requires cultivation, just like real fruit. Or in his words, if we live by the Spirit, we have to keep in step with the Spirit. This requires intentionality. We have to learn how to prune off our old habits and cultivate new ones. And as we do so, we find ourselves carried along by the Spirit. As Jesus reshapes our minds and hearts and makes us into people who love God and others. And in this way, Jesus' people fulfill what Paul calls the Torah of the Messiah. In the end, Paul concludes, this requirement for Christians to become Torah observant or be circumcised, it's an adventure in missing the point. What really matters is God's new creation, this new multi-ethnic family of the Messiah, people full of faith in Jesus who are learning to love God and others in the power of the Spirit. And that's what the letter to the Galatians is all about. I couldn't have said it any better. (laughs) We could almost stop the sermon right there and be, okay, let's be done, let's sing and go home, because it's just so succinct. Uh, Before we continue on, let's just pray together. Father God, I pray that you would um, just be here now, that your spirit would be here, that you would give me your words, that you would help us to hear, and that you would transform us because we've been in your presence, and that we would leave here with a new goal. We would leave here in a new way and that following you, following your spirit inside of us, that that would be the most important thing for us, God. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, so the overhaul or the whole thing about Galatians, law versus grace. When we think about uh, the law, We think about Old Testament. We think about the Old Testament covenant. We think about um, the Israelites when they were leaving and how how they escaped and how God brought them the Ten Commandments. In the Old Testament, when um, you had to follow the law, why did you do it? Well, you did it because you were afraid that God was going to take you down. God was going to wipe you out. You were, and usually it didn't even have anything to do with being individual with how your faith was. It had to do with the leaders. If the leaders were good, if the leaders followed God, then God blessed you as a nation. If your leader was bad, well, then God unblessed you as a nation or cursed you or bad things happened. Um, I think a lot of us, or at least those who are my age and older, we grew up in a church that, under the team law, you'll see legalism. We grew up in a church that law was kind of the, the heavier side of things. We grew up that we were afraid to do certain things. I remember in my house we had a lot of rules because we were talked about um, as Christians. This is what Christians could do and this is what Christians couldn't do. And there was just all of these rules. And uh, in fact, I've told you guys before, sometimes when I was little and I went to bed, I was really, really worried that I had messed up and I hadn't asked God for forgiveness. And so I would think at night... What did I do that was wrong? If I ask God for forgiveness, because I don't want to go to hell. And those were true fears for me. So I grew up under this whole team law, and a lot of us did under this legalism, this is what you're allowed to do. Just a little side note, God doesn't tell us how close we can get to sinning without sinning. He doesn't say that in the Bible, because we're not supposed to be over there. So legalism, um, fear of God, doing it because God said so, and we don't want anything bad to happen. On the other side, we've got team grace. Um, and 
This, this is amazing. This is talking about Jesus' death and resurrection, how he took the law and he wiped out the law. He took that punishment so that we can, we can be holy, so that we can be clean before him, so that we don't have to live under the law and all those, those uh, punishments. And it, it's a great place. And in fact, a lot of people today say that, oh, today when you go to church, all we hear is about grace. All we hear is about love, and we're, we're missing the point. And so people might say that older generation, they kind of were the law people. Younger generation, it's all about grace. And, but the thing, and the problem with grace is that sometimes we, we take advantage of grace. We all have a sinful nature. We all do things that are wrong, even though we don't want to. And it says in the Bible, even though I don't want to, I still do it. We do things that are wrong. And under grace, sometimes we've got up there, it's called license. Under grace, we, we kind of take it as a license to sin. We know God loves us. We know he loves us so much. And so sometimes we're like, oh, well, I'll just do this little thing because it's okay. God's not going to smite me down. He's not going to kill me. He loves me. And so sometimes under Team Grace, we, we become more sinful. We don't even think about our own sin because we just think about God's love and it's all okay. And um, what, what sometimes we do as Christians is we try to find our balance. We try to find the place in between those two. And so sometimes we kind of swing the pendulum over to team law, sometimes to team grace. I think of a parent sometimes where um, some parents are very legalistic and they have all these laws for their kids and there's no fun. And some parents, they're kind of like buddies and it's all a great time and there's no laws. And as parents, you try to find that, that balance between the two. But today I want to tell you it's not about balance. And for those who are math people, I apologize because it's 100% law and 100% grace. It's not one or the other. It's not a balance in between. It's 100% of both. And that's where we find freedom. That's where we find liberty. Um, So let's talk about that a little bit further. Why law today? If Jesus has come and fulfilled the law, then why is the law still important? Um, And if you remember... Back in the Old Testament, there were like 600 plus laws, and Jesus moved them into two. In fact, that's what the kids, their memory verses this uh, month, it's about loving God. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus even took that one step further and said, we need to love our neighbor as ourself, or in another verse, we need to love our neighbor as he's loved us. Big stuff. So law, and it showed it in the video, law shows us our sin before we come to Christ, and it points us to God. Remember, obeying the law doesn't help us get right with God. We're not under the law, but the law is like our guide. It's our path that shows us where to go. Tim Keller, he puts it this way, and I love this. The gospel of justifying faith means that while Christians are in themselves still sinful and sinning, yet in Christ, in God's sight, they are accepted and righteous. So we can say that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope at the very same time. This creates a radical new dynamic for personal growth. It means that the more you see your own flaws and sins, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to you. But on the one, sorry, but on the other hand, the more aware you are of God's grace and acceptance in Christ, the more able you are to drop your denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimensions and character of your sin. 
So if we think about the law, we think about grace, let's take some of the things that we say we shouldn't do that come from the law, but look at how it should maybe change when we think about 100% law and 100% grace. So for example, why shouldn't we tell, why should we tell the truth or why shouldn't we tell a lie? A lot of us, when we think law, we think, well, because the Bible says so, God says so. And that's just 100% law. But if we're going to live in the place of 100% law and 100% grace, and remember, the law is still important, but we now have grace. Why should we tell the truth? Here's why. Because lying says to the other person you are lying to, you're worthless. I'll protect me at your expense. Lying hurts. Lying breaks the relationship. See, it's both. 100% law. We shouldn't lie. We, we shouldn't lie. It's wrong. But it's not because we don't lie because God's going to take us down and because we're afraid we don't lie because we love one another like Christ has loved us make sense let's try another one why should we be generous old testament would say bring me your first fruit and I'll protect you but the reason we should be generous today is because it helps people God so loved the world that he gave why shouldn't you talk bad about other people gossip because it diminishes their significance and Christ died for them. Getting it? It's not because we're afraid of what God's going to do to us. It's because God's called us to love one another and it changes our motive. We don't do it out of fear. We do it out of love. Last one. Why shouldn't we pressure each other sexually? I don't want to do anything that hurts you. I don't want to do anything that would diminish your future relationships. I don't want to be your regret. Honor one another. There's no loopholes with honor. If it's not best for them, it's a sin. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Really, really simple words, right? All the commandments put into one. Love each other as I have loved you. But it's so much harder. Seriously. Really, really hard. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount, God says not only should you not murder, but you shouldn't think about murdering. No lust. Like you can't um, go and have sex with somebody, but if you even think about it, you're out. It's about respecting and loving that other person. And when we come at it with that motive, it changes things in a big, big way. First John 2.9, it says, If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. You see, God is really, 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 really in love with people. And you can't dismiss people and be right with God. Everyone you are eyeball to eyeball with is someone that Jesus died for. Your love for God is demonstrated and authenticated by how we treat those around us. But here's the big thing. We don't do this in our own strength. We can't do it in our own strength. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. 
When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So how do we know what's right? How are we following 100% if it's, um, we're supposed to love one another? How do we know that we're doing that? It's through the Spirit. And again, it's not ourselves. God is in us. He, when he, Jesus left, he left his Spirit with us. And his Spirit guides us. You know And maybe sometimes we need to get to know his voice a little bit better and maybe move away some of the stuff that drowns out his voice. But we know when the Spirit is telling us to do stuff. We're just a lot of times not courageous enough to follow. It's a risky place to be, and we don't want to be weird Christians. We don't want to step out of the box and do something different. But that's usually what the Spirit's asking us to do. If we can do it on our own, it's probably not what he's asking us to. So let's recap. 100% law, 100% grace. We are sinful, sinful beings, but Jesus died for us and loves us so much. He has said we need to love one another as he loves us. Hard stuff, but we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it in our own strength. We do it with God's spirit guiding us. Talking about loving one another and how are we going to do that? And I want to talk a little bit about For the Peg because it's what we want to do and what we want to encourage you to do and a way that we can all step out to love each other in our church. Because too often people are more familiar with what the church is against than what we're for. Right? Would you agree with that? Everybody knows, oh, the church is against this, the church is against this. But do they know what we're for? We are for families. We are for couples, we're for singles, we're for students, we're for children, we're for Winnipeg, we're for the peg. And the reason that we're for the people in our city is because God is for them. The most famous verse in the Bible, you can say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have eternal or everlasting life. We simply want to share the news with people in our city that God is for them and we are too. So how can we do this, right? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Um, I've got four ways, and the last one is a million different ways. So let's look at the four ways that we can go out into our community and we can love. The first one being social media. And if you're not part of social media, it's okay. I'll explain to you how you can still be a part. So often as a church with social media, we talk about all about our stuff. Oh, we have this event coming up. We have this thing coming up. You should come to this. And it's all about coming to us. 
But what we're going to do and what we're encouraging you to do is we want to celebrate the people in our community. Again, we want to share the good news. We want to celebrate what's going on. So here's some ways that you can do that. Let's say you're out for lunch and your server at lunch was awesome. What we're asking you to do is snap a picture with them, get a little selfie or just a picture with them, and we're going to put it up on social media and we're going to say, hey, if you want to, uh, if you're planning to go to, I don't know, Boston Pizza, you should go see this server. She was so awesome. We want to celebrate it. We're going to hashtag it for those who know. If you don't, talk to me later. We're going to hashtag it for the peg. We're going to hashtag it Boston Pizza. We're going to hashtag it celebrating our community. All those different kinds of things. Um, if you are going to some kind of a block party, Say, hey, have you heard, guys, have you heard that there's this block party coming up? Or have you heard that this thing's happening down at the Forks or this free thing? We want to celebrate what's happening in our community. We're a part of the community. The church is not meant to be an island. We're part of the community, and we want to celebrate. So we're looking for ways that we want to use our social media. Yeah, we're still going to talk about some of the stuff that's coming up, but we're going to use our social media as a way to celebrate what's going on. Okay? That's a pretty simple one, right? Think about your clerks at Safeway. Somebody you know, like I know a lot of them by name now. I could just go to them. You know what? Hey, guys, at church, we're celebrating the people in our community. Take a selfie with me. We're going to put it up. Most of them would be okay with that. And if they're not, that's okay. Say no worries. Um, But we can even still say, hey, if you're going to Boston Pizza, go see this person. Or if you're going to Dairy Queen, hey, there was a humongous line at BDI. The clerk there was so patient and put us through and did it in a great way. There's lots of different places where we can celebrate. So that's the first one. Oh, and part of that, we're looking for some people to be administrators of our social media. We're going to need some help with this because we want to be posting a lot of stuff. So if you are, um, have some knowledge and if you have some good connections on Facebook or on Instagram, let us know. We're looking for some people to help because if you don't have social media, you can still take a picture and you can send it to us and we can get it up there for you. So social media. The next one, and I know you've already read it and you're thinking, oh my goodness, what is that one? Asking people, do you have anything I can pray for you? But don't get too scared first. Um, I heard a story at my conference, and that's where some of this is coming from because um, the conference was all about for our neighbors and, again, reminded me of our need to love one another. So one of the uh, speakers at the conference was talking about how their church had done something similar, and he had gone out, and this is a guy who had a little bit of OCD, and so he was going to the car wash every single day, and he said he's been doing this for years. Every single day, he goes to the car wash and gets his car washed. And he sees the same people every day. And he really felt from God that he needs to ask this girl um, that he sees every day, is there something I can pray for you? So he gets to the car wash window where he has to uh, talk to this person before he goes to the car wash and rolls or presses his window down, sorry, (laughs) Um, and says, hi. And she's like, hi. Um, Well, I was just wondering if there's anything I can pray for you today. And I mean, you're wondering, okay, are they going to think I'm totally weird? Like, who says this? Just those weirdos. But the girl thought about it for a minute, and she said, you know what? My boyfriend and I are going through a really hard time. You could pray for us and for my boyfriend. He's like, sure. Quickly rolls the window back up and goes through the car wash. (laughs) Next day, he comes back, and they start a relationship. And he says, you know, how's your boyfriend? How are things going? And she tells him more, and, and they get to know each other more just from that little roll down. And he said the best thing was, she didn't know he was a pastor. She didn't know. It was just a guy in the community who was asking her if there was anything that that he could pray for her about. 
It's something we can do. I heard other stories from people all over because afterwards, um, a lot of the people who went to the conference tried this and there were stories all over. That's another thing. We want to celebrate when you guys are doing some of these things. We need to find a way and we'll probably have some people come up front and say, hey, this is what happened. And sometimes it's not going to go. They're going to say, no, sorry. And it's okay. It's okay. Because there's going to be people that God wants us to talk to and they're looking for, they're asking God, show me. They're saying, look, I need help. And nobody's coming forward. And we're meant to come forward and to pray for them. So it could be, again, anybody that you see regularly, the people who serve you at Olive Garden, (laughs) the um, people at your Safeway or Superstore, the people that you come in contact with, the people at Starbucks if you go every day, you get to know them. Um, and ask them, is there anything I can pray for you? One girl was talking about how she was, I think it was at like a ballet recital or something, or practices for the kids, and she was asking one woman, and the woman was telling her, but then the woman said, hey, Sally, you got something going on with your mom. This lady will pray for you too. And it just, it grew. There's another story about a person who was going to Starbucks every day, and they were asking all the different people there. Months later, the person was eating in the Starbucks, and the uh, owner of the Starbucks came over and gave them like a free drink. And he said, what, what's this about? He said, you have made the biggest difference in my Starbucks. You have bumped the morale. People feel like they are cared for because of you. And I wanted to say thank you. It's a big thing. It's a simple question. And yeah, we're going to get some no's. But the impact that we can have with people when we just ask, can I pray for you, is humongous. Okay. I don't want to talk too long and make the people and children's hate me today. Um, The next thing, car magnets. And I forgot to bring one up with me. Ashley, would you grab one from the office for me quick? Um, We've got car magnets made, um, and they're the kind of thing that you put on the back of your car. And it says on it, for the peg. Well, why would you have a car magnet on the back of your car that says for the peg? Well, for those people um, who get the car magnet, what we're asking you to do is to pay it backwards in the drive-thru line. So say you're in Tim Hortons, um, you listen and you try to make sure that the person isn't going to do like a big uh, order for their company and aren't ordering like 20 dozen donuts or something, but usually it's just a donut and coffee or something small, and you say, you know what, I'd like to pay for the person behind me. They see the for the peg on your car and they're like, what's that about? And it's about loving. It's about sharing love. It's about surprise love. And this is, all of this is, it's more than just random acts of kindness. It's more than just um, trying to, trying to love people. Again, it's listening to the spirit. He's going to show us who we should ask to pray for. He's going to show us um, who we should pay for behind us. He's going to give us that. Let's listen to him. Um, And so we've got car magnets. You know that finances are tight, so we're giving you the cost of the car magnet, which is $5. So if you want to purchase one, we'll have them available after church, and I'll show it to you when Ashley gets back. Um, But the last thing is um, showing kindness to the people, groups, in your circles. And this is the one that could be millions of different things. Um, Some of your neighbors know that you don't love them because you act like you don't. Seriously. In fact, I'm going to be honest here. God has told me I need to love my neighbor. He told me this in May. It's June, and I haven't stepped up yet because I really don't like my neighbor. I have a neighbor who, who has issues with drugs and things, and I struggle. And God says I'm supposed to love him. And so you can hold me accountable because I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to get there this summer. It's going to happen because he's outside all the time, um, and I need to love him. But God's called all of us to love different people. It might look different for all of us. 
God's going to show us the ideas. It might be going to your local school and bringing them some donuts and coffee and saying, you know what, thank you for speaking into the lives of our kids in our community. It might be um, one group in the States, they're doing something called prodigal parties, and churches are stepping up, and what they're doing is when people get out of jail, the church is doing a celebration for them to welcome them back into the community. Church knows how to do cake and coffee well, so they invite a bunch of people from the church, they invite the family, thank you, and uh, they do a prodigal party, and they say, look, you're back in our society, we want to support you, we want to be your new family, and so that's how they're showing love to people. It it could be so many different ways. It could be, like, sometimes I know people struggle with the person at the corner. It's like, well, should I give him money? Or is he going to spend it on drugs? What should I do? Some people are making little bags and give to them, but here's something even more. Maybe instead of just giving them money, saying, hey, let's go for lunch together. Let's get to know them. Let's build relationships with people. It's not about just giving and, oh, I've done my good deed. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to love It's bigger than just giving some money. Love is showing that you care about that person. A lot of times, even if you don't have money, if you're passing somebody on the street, look them in the eye. Treat them as a real person. Say, you know what? I don't have any money today. I'm sorry, but God bless you. Or I'm praying for you. But look them in the eye. Treat them as a person. That's how we love one another. Sorry, guys. this This is my heart. I want us to move forward as a church. I want us to... I want Winnipeg, I want the news to know that we're doing something different. I want Winnipeg to know. I want, I want the world to know that we're going to change. God's called us to love one another, and we sit around and do nothing. We love our little people groups, and I'm not saying you are doing this. I'm saying I'm doing this too. We all need to do this. We all need to step up. We need to love one another because that's what God's called us to do. That's the commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. We need to love. And so that's what I'm calling you to do to today. That's why we split it up because I want to leave you with that. I want to leave you with the idea of how are you going to love. So think about it. Talk about it with one another. Encourage one another. Come forward if you can be administrators for Facebook or those kinds of things. Um, for the peg, car magnets. Grab one after the service or next week. Um, five bucks we can put IOUs on. We'll, we'll let you do that too. Um, but... The biggest thing leaving here today is leaving here with the idea to love one another. And what is that going to look like? And it's going to look like something different for each of us. But we can do it. And we don't do it on our own. We do it with the Spirit. So that's what I want to leave you with today. Let's just pray together before we sing our final song. Father God, as we prepare to leave today, I pray that you would help us and show us the ways that we can love Winnipeg, that we can love our community, love the people we see on the bus, the people we see wherever we go. Give us courage, give us ideas, and thank you for loving us. We pray this in your name. Amen.